When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you breaking news, the big stories and expert insight and analysis into what's happening in world football. This is Wednesday's edition, and therefore it's your questions answered. Uh, we're very, very uh, grateful for all the feedback we have from Monday's uh, podcast, and uh, I'm sure that you had a very good debate involving uh, yourselves as well. We seem to certainly be the case on Twitter. Uh, delighted to say that uh, transfer guru Duncan Castles, as as usual, right beside me here for this particular edition. And indeed, we're going to start with breaking news. As you know, we'd love to bring you everything that's going on right on the cusp of what's happening in European football and certainly on transfers. And my information is that it has been agreed uh, between Chelsea and Real Madrid a fee of €110 million Euros for the transfer of Aiden Hazard. That fee would uh, then go up to €125 million. Euros. That, uh, that would be €15 million Euros added on on performance-related bonuses for Chelsea. Um, this comes at the end of two weeks of intensive negotiations, which my understanding has ended on Monday. Uh, it also is the case that uh, Chelsea have acceded to Hazard's request and indeed his family's request that they honour a spoken agreement from last year that Hazard be allowed to leave Real Madrid should he stay one more season at Chelsea. Uh, that has been pressed home. And uh, also I think that uh, Roman Abramovich, I'm told, has personally um, uh, agreed that Hazard should leave now rather than leave for free in a year's time uh, when his contract expires. The uh, details of that agreement will not be released until after uh, the Europa League final. And also, um, it's the case that Hazard himself is now content with what's um, been agreed. He will be on a contract, I'm told, of four years, earning around £400,000 per week. Duncan, do you think this is a, a natural conclusion to what has been a bit of a transfer saga? I think um, if it plays out this way, this is what um, Eden Hazard has been expecting for the season. As you say, there was this um, understanding with the club when they didn't let him leave last summer that uh, they would have to make a decision this summer as to whether uh, they would finally cash in on his contract um, or uh, allow him to run it down for, for the final season and he would leave um, for nothing. Um, I know that Hazard has got increasingly nervous over the last um, month or so about a resolution being reached between Madrid and Chelsea for a number of reasons. Obviously, the transfer ban um, that Chelsea are under uh, is an issue. Um, that wasn't unexpected. Um, Chelsea did try and appeal it to FIFA and hope to to have it to be relieved of the ban for at least the the, the summer. Um, but I think the, the 
that what became more of an issue were the um, consecutive uh, Achilles tendon ruptures suffered by Callum Hudson-Odoi and uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, um, which is something that should worry Chelsea fans. I think seeing two players go down with what is uh, a very rare um, injury in such a, a short period of time would leave question marks over the training regime um, that's been applied at the club. But losing... Hudson Adoy, who was an obvious um, candidate to promote into the team um, with Hazard leaving and would be obviously a cheaper option for Chelsea, as well as Loftus Cheek, who is getting to the point where he's establishing himself as a, a regular first uh, team pick um, and an important creative force with that, had, uh, had made the decision for Chelsea harder and made them think um, perhaps it is worth sacrificing the transfer fee we can get from Madrid um, to retain Hazard for that final year because we'll need him because we uh, he was the centre point of the attack um, for several seasons, but particularly for the last season. Um, and if we allow him to go, it's going to make it very hard for uh, the, whoever manages the team in the coming season if he's unable to recruit. Um I don't. It's not a great surprise to me that they've made a, a, a pragmatic decision to take the money, um, given the background um, to where Chelsea are as a club. Uh, Roman Abramovich about to watch his first game live, um, the Europa League final, for over a year. Uh, has put the club informally on the market, even though Chelsea keep denying that the club is up for sale. Has pulled the plug on their stadium rebuild, a massive project that he'd already invested tens of millions of pounds in, uh, angry with the UK government for denying him his visa. Um, there's never been more distant from the Chelsea project um, than he is at present. So um, to take a pragmatic decision in, in the sense of an economic decision I accept the money now rather than lose um, what is potential 125 million uh, in a year's time um, makes sense. And the, there was also the question mark of how as so if you say um, no, we need to keep you um, because we don't have a replacement for you, and we're going to keep you to the end of your contract, and we'll we'll, we'll accept losing you for nothing in a year's time. The calculation there has to be will he actually perform in that year? Um, some players respond well to those situations. Some players like Luis Suarez, when, when he was denied um, his contractually agreed um, option to leave Liverpool for the first time, uh, was furious with the club, was furious with Brendan Rodgers and responded by saying, I'm going to show you. Uh, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show the world how good I am and I'm going to make sure I get my move to Barcelona uh, to a bigger club than the, 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 the one that had been agreed um, for Arsenal in a year's time and came out with the, at that stage the best season of his career. But that's very much Luis Suarez's mentality. He's a fighter. He's a, he's, he's a man who always wants to prove himself the best. And Hazard is an interesting character. And I think that one of the reasons we've discussed this in the podcast before, one of the reasons why he'll probably never establish himself on that tier with Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo is he doesn't have that same motivation 
to be the absolute best. The people who know him talk about him being a very kind of happy-go-lucky character and someone who uh, can allow his physical condition to drop off, um, doesn't look after his body in the same way as someone like Cristiano Ronaldo does. So if I was calculating as to whether I would get a good year out of Hazard, having uh, prevented him two summers running from from executing his dream move to Real Madrid, I think my calculation would be I'm probably better um, advised to take the money here um, than I am to risk uh, holding on to the player for a year and getting a, a mediocre season from him. And we've seen a mediocre season from Eden Hazard before. Last um, time they won the title under Jose Mourinho, he was uh, probably the player of the season for them, probably the player, uh, well, he was the player of the Premier League, voted that season and then the, the subsequent um, season uh, came back unfit as many of the players did and uh, and probably had the worst campaign of his year. So Chelsea have seen that before and that's why um, accepting an offer from Madrid does make strategic sense, I think. Well, they obviously, I think, employed or indeed bought an insurance policy uh, based on what they knew Hazard's wishes were and that was buying Christian Pulisic in January, Duncan for <clears throat> from Borussia Dortmund. Um, not a like-for-like, obviously. He's a very young lad who still needs to um, develop and prove himself. So he's not the finished article, but certainly someone who I think has got the potential to do very well in the in the Premier League. Um, I think it's also interesting, though, having been told that Abramovich had, had personally um, endorsed the move, I um, said, no, this this is what should happen. Now, as you said, um, it's believed that Abramovich will be in Baku, uh, sailing in on his uh, his yacht uh, for the game. And my personal experience, when big players at Chelsea have left, players that Roman Abramovich likes, is he does, sounds a little peculiar maybe for someone who's a billionaire, he does actually like to see them face-to-face, thank them, for what they've done for Chelsea, shake their hand and wish them all the best. He did it with Frank Lampard, he did it with John Terry, he did it with Peter Cech, he did it with Didier Drogba, he did it with Ashley Cole. And it's, I just think there's like a, more than a coincidence, Duncan, that that's what's going to be going on uh, in Baku. Yeah, and um, obviously Baku's a, a special game uh, in another sense in that it's going to be Petr Cech's final match as a footballer. Um, as you say, Roman Abramovich allowed Petr Cech to leave for Arsenal um, at the point in which um, Thibaut Courtois had been chosen as first choice by uh, Mourinho for the coming season. And Cech said, look, I don't, I don't want to operate as a backup anymore. Please let me leave. And Mourinho wanted to retain Czech because he felt that, um, that having the two of them in the team was the best solution in terms of performance, uh, would help develop Courtois and would help keep Courtois on his toes. And he still trusted Czech. But um, Abramovich's um, faith and uh, I think friendship's the right word um, when it comes to Petr Czech. I mean, Petr Czech speaks Russian, um, had been... Uh, an integral component of that Chelsea team from um, the the first, if you like, the first full summer of um, of the Mourinho uh, of the Abramovich project when he had his own manager in, um, and central to so many of the trophies and their and their success. And Abramovich uh, 
acceded to Czech's request and overruled his manager to allow him to go there. And I think uh, that's another reason why he's in Baku is to see uh, Peter Czech, Peter Czech's final game. Uh, and indeed, it appears that Czech may well be rejoining Chelsea in a technical role as well, Duncan. So it could be a it's a goodbye to your playing career and a hello to your career with Chelsea, possibly as a maybe sporting director or head of recruitment. It wouldn't surprise me if that happened. Um, Petr Cech, you would think amongst most of the footballers I've come across, you, you could see him um, very successfully fulfilling a role like that. He has an intelligence. He has a, um, a way of carrying himself, um, multi-skilled in languages. Um, he, you see him as a potential sports director for sure. And he obviously has the trust of the club. He has the trust of Marina Granovskaya. So so. There, there is a good fit there. Um, you know, we, we, we're talking about Edu, who's the technical director at Brazil uh, for the Brazil national team at the moment, um, and has been uh, mentioned as a as a potential uh, technical director coming into Arsenal. I got to know Edu quite well when he was a player at Arsenal, and, and I, I see the similarities between someone like Edu and um, Petr Cech in their intelligence and the way they approach the game as players. And it came, yeah, absolutely no surprise to me that when when Adu retired, he moved into that side of of the footballing sphere because he he does have those the abilities you'd like to have in a technical director. Um, so yeah, it, it, again, no surprise if Czech does end up taking that role. But he'll be taking it if he does. He'll be taking it a very difficult time for the club. Let's make no mistake about that. Because well, I was going to say, Duncan. I mean, don't fret, listeners. We're going to get to your questions very quickly. But as you know, the importance of uh, breaking news is always at the front of our minds. I know it's in front of yours as well. Duncan, Mercio Sari. I mean, what's going to happen? And who comes in? How are they going to solve the problem of replacing Aiden Hazard? I mean, it's not exactly a, a, the most attractive uh, job to take on if you're losing your best player. Well, Sari's a candidate for Juventus. Um, checked again today with uh, my a contact there. And he is saying to me this is not a done deal um, the club are still looking at alternative options so, you know we talked about this quite extensively on the podcast last week why Sari is not um, a primo facie ideal fit for Juventus and the way he handles himself and his history in Italy um, as one of my contacts put it he's not an elegant man and uh, elegance is important to Juventus as is success. Um, if he wins in Baku tomorrow night, uh, sorry tonight, that will be his um, first trophy in uh, I think a twenty-nine year managerial career. Um, so I can see why the Juventus job is incredibly attractive to Maurizio Sarri because he would go somewhere where he'd be almost guaranteed Serie A title. He would have a squad with the best football in the world in it. He would have a chance at winning the Champions League. He'd have a chance of doing a clean sweep in Italy, which has only been done once before um, at Internazionale several years ago. Um, so for Sarri, what a way to get out of the, the mess that is Chelsea, you know, a club that have uh, been look, have, have considered sacking him twice in the current season, who haven't told him yet whether they want to retain him for next season, um, who uh, haven't told his assistants who, who are out of contract at the end of the season whether they will be retained to next season. We've seen Sari last week talking about how 
uh, expressing his anger, basically, that his his uh, his future at Chelsea would come down to the result of this one game, kind of um, laying the, the mantle down to to Chelsea. Um, he's been in, in discussions with AS Roma earlier in the season, told them he was prepared to go there, was telling friends that he wanted out of England and then, then shifted his position as results improved at Chelsea and as he got to Europa League final, as he qualified for the Champions League. And I think that qualification was was essentially down to the other clubs having such a horrendous end to the season. You know, nobody could win a game um, apart from the few that Chelsea won in that that tail end of the season. And that's kind of what got on got in there. So I, I know why Sari wants to go to Juventus. I if he doesn't go to Juventus, I could see him going to another Italian club. Um, I think Chelsea would love uh, the opportunity to take money off another club to hire. Um, to let Sari go. So instead of having to sack him, which is what Sari was waiting for not too long ago, they would be able to take compensation from Juventus um, as, a, as a transfer fee for the coach and then bring someone else in. Um, the question becomes who they, who they bring in. Um, as we've, we've told you in the podcast before, they have had discussions about Nuno Espirito Santo at Wolves. Um, there have been talks with... Um, the representatives of Javi Gracia at Watford, um, two very similar coaches in a lot of ways and that they've um, achieved uh, exceptionally well um, get relative to the resources in the Premier League, um, are uncontroversial, um, will not cause problems in, in the public domain for Chelsea. Gracia in particular, happy to work with the with the players he has, very much a training ground coach. Um, so in a transfer window band situation, you could see that working. And then there's the alternative proposal, which is to go for um, something that would be very popular with the fans in appointing Frank Lampard. Um, and I, I believe Frank Lampard is seriously considering that approach he has from Chelsea. Um, but I think it's a difficult decision for him because he's a young coach. He's had a, an excellent first season at Derby County, almost got them into the Premier League um, without um, any significant transfer budget at all. Um, if he goes to Chelsea, he will be the returning hero. But this Chelsea to come into this next season, assuming the transfer ban stays in place, it's probably the worst possible time to take over the club. Um, so no guarantee of success. And you could burn uh, a young managerial career very easily um, with a single season at Chelsea. And if there's one club in football, one club in English football, where you know that a bad season is almost certainly going to result in the sack, is Chelsea. Uh, and I don't think it'd make any difference, Frank Lampard's history at the club. Um, if he was to do that. So, so that's a tough call for him, I think. It is a very interesting um, sort of few weeks ahead for Chelsea with Hazard and with Sarri Duncan. Um, it seems to me that uh, we'll find out quite a lot uh, in the next few days um, as a result of what happens in Baku. And um, Sarri to me seems like someone who is not going to hold back uh, and not speak his mind. Once that game's over, I, I I get the feeling personally that he's been almost keeping his powder dry with regards to what he really thinks about the way he's been treated. And so, yeah, if he's got an offer from Juve or he's got a potential move to Juventus, then I think he is <clears throat> going to take that very seriously rather than think about uh, staying on at Chelsea. 
it's an interesting prediction because you, you, you're right. He's not a man who, who um, holds his counsel very often. If he's confident that he has jobs open to him in Italy, then that would be his opportunity to talk out if he wins the Europa League um, and say something uh, aggressive. Either way, you know. He has leverage. Um, he has leverage if he's, he's Europa League winner. He's got leverage, hasn't he? Someone who's definitely got leverage is uh, Mr. Jurgen Klopp. Uh, the man who we often refer to with in regard to ducks, as you will all remember. And we've got a question here from Mr. Paul Newman at Paul New eight three 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 five, which is I think one that Duncan can answer very well. Which is update, please, on Liverpool and their transfer plans, i.e., Fakir, Pepe, and Werner. Duncan, any updates on that? I'm sure you have. Uh, Nabil Fakir, I'd be surprised if, if they went there. They got very close to signing him um, a year ago and then uh, decided to back off because of the, the medical. Um, Leon would love to sell the player for a significant fee. Um, they're, they're essentially working on, on two plans, which is if, you, if they get a big offer this summer, take it. If not, give him a new contract and then um, look to sell him uh, in, in upcoming windows uh, they're worried that he doesn't Eden Hazard and runs his contract down and they, they lose him for nothing so um, uh, if a big club comes in we told you in the podcast that he's a player Zinedine Zidane admires a lot um, and Zidane it would require him to have the freedom to act in the market and we've, we've told you in the podcast that there is significant tension between him and Florentino Perez about who goes out of that squad and who is retained and um, uh, Zidane feeling that Perez has reneged on a promise to give him final say on everything. Um, I think if, if Zidane had the opportunity, he would try and do something there, but it's not clear that he will have the opportunity to go that far in the market. Uh, Nicola Pepe, um, I think this is a really interesting one for Liverpool. I think he would be a fantastic fit um, to their squad. He is, um, as you know, People in football say he's a vertical player and Liverpool are a very vertical team. They like to get to the opposition box as quickly as possible. Pace across the ground is fundamental to the way they play. As we've talked about in the podcast, part of their success in this past season has been based on keeping their uh, key attackers fit throughout the season. You know They had Mane and Salah on the pitch for almost all of it. Um, they don't really have cover proper cover for those two in, in, in the sense of a player who can, who's a like-for-like like replacement, who can go straight into the system and do the same thing. And Nicola Pepe is that player. Um, you can understand why they've been scouting him. You understand why they are considering a move for him because that would then give them... They could play the three together easily. You could move Salah into a central position. Manny's played central. Nicola Pepe has played central for Leo. So they're all interchangeable there. Um, you take pressure off each of the players. You'd be able to rotate more. Um, you'd be adding goals. You'd be adding assists. Uh, second highest scorer in the, in the French league playing for Leo. Um, and they have been, I'm told, in contact with Pepe's agent to discuss um, a deal, uh, discuss his, his interest in coming there, what it would cost to bring him there. Um, Leo are aware of this and are waiting for a bid. Um, as we uh, told you in the transfer window a couple of weeks ago, um, Manchester United have inquired direct with Leo about what the transfer fee would be. Um, Bayern had put a bid in 
uh, of 60 million euros some time ago. They have shifted their attention to Leroy Sani uh, and are trying to get that deal done instead. Um, Paris Saint-Germain have an interest in Pepe. Leo have stated that the player is for sale. They're very clear that he's on the market. Um, their asking price has been 80 million euros. Uh, and they would love, they would love to have a bid come in from Liverpool, love to have a bid come in from Manchester United. They'd love to get that auction going for the player. Um, and as I say, they're aware of the interest there and they're hoping that Liverpool will make that concrete. Um, and then it would be a question of um, who could persuade them to come because you, you know their Leo will sell. If you can, if you can meet. Leo's financial terms, you know they'll sell um, and then you've just got to do the deal with the player. Uh, a lot of competition, potentially, um, but uh, a good, um, I, I think it would be a fantastic deal for Liverpool if they could get that one across the line and make them serious challengers for next next season's title. There are other areas they need to strengthen in, but once you start getting double choices in attack in the way that Manchester City have, then you, you, you've got a better chance of... Um, of actually overhauling uh, the differential between the team next season and maybe exploiting whatever um, fallout there is at Manchester City from the UEFA uh, investigation, the court case and, uh, and potential uh, bans and other sanctions p- placed upon the club. So just to um, follow up, uh, Paul, on your question about um, Timo Werner, uh, a player that we did ex- talk about in the transfer podcast when the podcast uh, some weeks ago with regards to Liverpool's interest um, the information is that uh, all conversations about his future were um, off limits until last weekend's German Cup final in which obviously Bayern Munich beat uh, RB Leipzig and that indeed um, that's become a live conversation again with regards to a potential move for Liverpool. I say this with uh, in association with Duncan's inf- information regarding Pepe. I don't believe that Liverpool would or can afford to sign Nicola Pepe and Timo Werner. I'm not sure that that would be um, potential uh, for them in this one window. However, um, I don't think it's a case of one or the other. I think it's a case of which one fits best. And again, Liverpool are heavily involved and are not uh, necessarily talking about transfers ahead of uh, the weekend's Champions League final. So news on both those transfers will be forthcoming in the coming days. But I suspect Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of next week, we'll have a clearer idea of exactly um, where the negotiation process is on both. So, from Liverpool to a question from Ian Lenny. That's at Lenny1874. And uh, very pleased always that we can discuss um, clubs on the continent um, with regards to what they are doing and and how that affects uh, football all over the world. And, of course, Ernesto Valverde's future has been in question despite um, being a very much uh, successful manager at Barcelona this season, but the very poor defeat to Liverpool in the Champions League has thrown that into doubt. Um, My information is there will be a board meeting at the camp now on Friday of this week in which his uh, future will be discussed. And Ian Lenny asks, will Valverde survive as Barca manager? And if they don't sign Griezmann, who else would they look to? Now, Duncan, it seems harsh on a manager who's done so well. 
to even be discussing the fact he might be sacked. But as you well know, standards are very high at camp now and they expect the very best. As an outcome of this board meeting, what, what would be your feeling? Will Valverde still be there next season or are they looking to bring in someone else? We, we flagged this up to you several weeks ago after the after the Liverpool game that Valverde's future was in severe doubt. Um, you know, Lionel Messi promised the Barcelona fans the European Cup this season and um, he and the team did not deliver and they did not deliver in a fashion that was described by one of the main sports papers in Barcelona as the biggest farce in history. Um, a scapegoat is required. Uh, in, in fact, it looks like more than one scapegoat is required. One scapegoat has been Philippe Coutinho, who's now um, available for sale and has been the, the player most identified as, as being a failure point in that team. Um, and Barcelona are prepared to take a significant hit on the uh, initial €120 million Euro transfer fee they paid to Liverpool just 18 months ago. The other one has been Ernesto Valverde. And a lot of people will tell you that that is unfair. In fact, our, uh, our good friend Graham Hunter wrote a very interesting piece um, today, um, which I, I would recommend um, you reading if you want to, to see the perspective from Valverde's side and how um, uh, transfer proposals he made to the club were blocked, how he was provided with players in uh, positions he'd requested to be strengthened, who did not fit his plan, and how that uh, complicated things from Barcelona. And, and Graham's position is very much that um, I think that, that Barcelona are making a mistake in uh, in getting rid of Valverde. And that's the information I have from Barcelona is that that is what's going to happen. They have made a decision. Um, his failure, uh, his defeat in the Copa del Rey final to Valencia has made things even worse for him um, and they will uh, sacrifice him for uh, the, fail the, the, the central failure, which is to bring the Champions League back to Barcelona this season. Um, I'm told that they are in negotiations with uh, Roberto Martinez um, to replace him, uh, which would be a fascinating uh, appointment if they go for it given uh, his track record as a coach. Obviously, he embellished his CV with, the, with his work um, with Belgium at the World Cup, uh, taking them to the semi-final um, with what many people would argue was the most talented squad or certainly one of the two most talented squads at the World Cup. But... Uh, getting them to a stage which they hadn't reached for a long time. And Belgium have a history of underperforming with talented squads. So he uh, he certainly embellished his reputation there. But um, if you were an Everton, Everton supporter, for example, I think you'd be um, very surprised that uh, Martinez is now being talked of as a front runner for the Barcelona job. Barcelona have a history of, of making um, odd appointments unexpected appointments that they're, they're not um, they're not against taking risks um, I, I guess the best example in terms of a surprise appointment would be Pep Guardiola um, taking him up from after one season of coaching their B side to be uh, the senior manager and then Guardiola leading them to the most successful period in their history so um, it won't necessarily be a big name coach um, there are people who think that they should go for one of Guardiola's pupils. Um, 
Xavi. Um, I think Graham Hunter, uh, I don't know if he did, he did advocate him becoming coach now, but I think Graham Hunter certainly sees Xavi as a future coach of Barcelona. If you watch his, his, uh, his great film about the Guardiola years at Barcelona, you'll see Xavi very prominent in that and it kind of signing off, almost signing off with, uh, with presenting Xavi as the, 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 the heir apparent to Guardiola. Um, I can tell you that Xavi uh, has agreed um, to become coach of Al Sadd in Qatar um, and has just been, I think they've just announced that uh, in Qatar. He, uh, he finished his playing career um, last week, his second last game um, as, a, as a player in football was a, a defeat in the Amir Cup. Um, in Qatar and interestingly lost that game to the former Manchester United um, assistant coach Rui Faria who um, who has now started his career as a full manager by winning the first um, tournament uh, he uh, he started in and completed um, he's also taken them to the uh, knockout round stages of the Asian Champions League um, uh, if you want to watch something a bit different, I'd go on YouTube and watch that final. Um, you'll see some very interesting refereeing. You see a team come back from uh, having a player sent off in the first half, Aldo De Hale, um, uh, Faria's team. You'll see him uh, at half time playing with 10 men um, with a score 1 1, taking off um, one of his midfielders and putting an extra striker on. Um, to uh, change the game tactically and uh, and that very well it's it's audacious um, yeah. and uh, and as I understand he, he the way he he did that at halftime was he put the he, he put the team up on the on the blackboard in the stadium uh, the players came in and looked at it and went what is going on here and uh, and then told them you're you're better than them. Um, we're going to surprise them with this tactic. Uh, you've got to believe in yourself. We're going to win this match. And, uh, and they went out with that belief and, uh, and turned the game around 1-4-1 eventually. So um, interesting uh, start to a coaching career there and interesting to see how Xavi does um, in Qatar going head-to-head against Faria, um, being in charge of Al-Sad, which is the other great power um, in, the, in the Qatar league. Um, and interesting to see who Barcelona finally choose because um, there is the potential there for them to to break with tradition, if you like, and uh, to go and uh, recruit someone like Maurizio Pochettino, um, who has said that he would never coach Barcelona in the past, but you wonder what his response would be if the job was offered to him, or um, Max Allegri who is um, unemployed after being dismissed by Juventus. And um, uh, Barcelona is exactly the, the category of job he is looking to go into next, one where he can win titles and, and, uh, and have a squad capable of, of winning the Champions League. I think it's interesting as well that Ronald Koeman's name has come up, Duncan, in terms of possible candidates. I don't really see it myself. Obviously, a legendary player at Barcelona and scored a goal that won their first European Cup at Wembley. <clears throat> However, I don't see his coaching career, especially his time at Everton, um, being much to crow about on his CV um, with regards to having the credentials to coach Barcelona. Uh, Max Allegri would be a difficult choice for Barcelona. I, I, I think 
they are not specific, very particularly prone to appointing Italian coaches. They see Italian football is very different from what they want to play. So um, I've even had Unai Emery uh, mentioned as a potential candidate who obviously had some very um, impressive success at Seville, but I would imagine would not be gettable from Arsenal having just had his first full season um, there. So uh, I think it's a bit of a predicament. Yeah, look, I think they will stick with someone from the Cruyff School. They'll stick with someone who plays their kind of football. And I think that's why you 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 see um, Koeman mentioned, because he was a former Barcelona player, and, and why you see someone like Roberto Martinez um, in discussions with the club about taking that role. Um, I think the problem for any coach is that um, they actually won't be the manager. I mean, let's face it, Lionel Messi makes the decisions at that club. And uh, any coach who comes in has to deal with Messi's thoughts about who should be playing and the way they should be playing, has to to keep him on side, has to keep him happy. Um, so it, it's difficult from that sense. Um, you know, in, in some ways, the, the, the honest way to go about it would be to make Messi player manager. But obviously Messi would, would not want to be in a position where he had to talk to the media and had to have the, the pressure of being perceived um, and, and, and having the title of being the person who makes the decision. So I think those are the complications that, uh, that make it a, a, an interesting choice and probably part of the reason why someone like Martinez is in the frame for this job because uh, you would imagine that Roberto Martinez would be happy to comply with what was required if he was given the opportunity to coach a club like um, Barcelona, which is you know, so much higher in status than anything he's ever had in his career before. Well, from um, messy thoughts to insanity prices, uh, we have a good question from KG6 at Jazz X High Kladge, who says, how much money do you think Leroy Sané will cost Bayern? It seems like everyone has a different valuation for him. Now, you'll remember, our uh, dear listeners, <clears throat> this was a story that was broken on the Transfer Window podcast by Duncan, that Bayern Munich had a serious interest in Leroy Zani um, and buying him from Manchester City this summer. Now, at the time, I'm sure Duncan mentioned a price which he thought was market value. But Duncan, so why has, um, why has the price fluctuated? And do you have any better idea now what Manchester City are asking for Sane regarding uh, the transfer going forward? Well, just say I'm, I'm very impressed by your attempt to pronounce KJ6's name because I would never, ever have had a go at that myself and hopefully you can come back to us and I'm tell us brave. Whether, you always brave. Whether, you, whether you got it right or not. I know I know the duck would never even have got close to that one. Um, I think you you made a, at least a, sounded to me like a credible, creditable attempt at it. Um, what happens with Sane? Look, um, Bayern have made it absolutely clear that they want the player. You've seen uh, the Lewandowski come out, Willy Hennis, um, Karl-Heinz Rummenigger, all talking about this is a player we want to sign. He will improve our team. We want him to come to the club. We'll do what we can to make it happen. Um, they have been encouraged um, in the way that Manchester City have dealt with them. They feel that Pep Guardiola is ready to relinquish the player for the reasons we detailed on the on the transfer window podcast and in the column I did for the Daily Record. Significant issues between Guardiola and the player, um, conflict between them, 
Sani not happy um, with his playing time, which has been very limited in the past season for the quality of the player he is. Um, Sani being a difficult character to handle, for sure. Um, he's caused problems with the Germany national team. He was difficult at Schalke. He's been difficult for Guardiola at Manchester City. And um, Sani believes he should be a superstar. He should be an automatic starter. He should be a central centre point to the attack. And that's what Bayern can offer him. Um, as we explained, uh, Manchester City do not want to lose him. Um, I'm not saying Pep Guardiola doesn't want to lose him, although he has said that publicly. My information and what Bayern are hearing is Pep Guardiola is ready to sacrifice him and replace him with another player. Manchester City don't. Um, they would ideally like to extend his contract um, and keep him in the team. But they're, you know, they're not going to go against their coach if the right bid comes in. Um, so Bayern believe they can do it. It then becomes a negotiating exercise. What I'm hearing from Bayern, the Bayern end is they do not want to go above 80 million euros for the player. That's what they've got earmarked for that position. That's what they're prepared to, to spend on Sani. Because um, the contract in itself will be very expensive. Uh, as, he, as the player feels he should be a superstar, he wants to be put on superstar wages, which is part of the calculation at Manchester City and part of the problem here. They've made them offers to remain. He doesn't feel the wages are acceptable um, in terms of his what he provides to the team. He wants to be on the top tier at uh, the team. Um, they're not prepared to do that. Um, and they're making the pragmatic decision. If we cannot get him to sign the contract, uh, we don't want him to run his contract down to the last year and get into an Eden Hazard, uh, Thibaut Courtois type situation, David De Gea situation, where we have to accept a reduced transfer fee for him and even have the prospect of losing him for nothing in two years' time. So um, if we have to, we'll sell him this summer. Bayern obviously know that. They know what's going on with the player. They know the player wants to be uh, have that status. They know he is ready to come to to them, um, they know they'll have to pay him high wages to join them. So uh, the, it comes down to the negotiation between the clubs. And I think in the current market, 80 million euros is low for a player of, of Sani's ability. I mean, we've talked about how, um, you know, players like Tange Ondombele at, at Lyon, who is a uh, admired uh, by Manchester United, admired by Manchester City, has a lot of of, of suitors. Uh, Paris Saint Germain also like him as a player. Uh, the pricing for players like that is essentially 100 million euros. That's what clubs are asking for those kind of talents these days. Um, therefore, if you've got a player who's proved himself to be one of the top performers in the Premier League, and, and Sani's statistics are excellent. Uh, as I noted at the time, there are only three players uh, in the Premier League this season who provided at least 10 goals and 10 or more assists in that division. And they are Eden Hazard, Raheem Sterling and Leroy Zani. And Zani did it on, I think, 57% of the minutes in playing time. So realistically, in normal circumstances, you're talking well above 100 million euros uh, in, in, in valuation in the current market for him. But can Manchester City secure that? That I think to secure that, they probably need someone else to come in and make an offer for him. Whether that's Paris Saint-Germain, you would think would be uh, an obvious candidate, uh, given that he's 
uh, part, uh, partly French uh, background. Um, but the problem you'd have with Paris Saint-Germain is that's Qatar trying to take a player from Abu Dhabi. And these are two countries that are effectively at war at the moment. Um, so I think uh, Manchester City, in the calculation, would be we'd rather sell uh, Sani to if we have to sell him to Bayern, then we'd let him go to to PSG. So it's that this is the the essence of the transfer market. Essentially, it's um, it's getting agreements on prices and clubs making decisions based on what's valuable to them, what's important to them. Um, and how much they think they can extract from deals, and, and it's quite unusual for to see Manchester City in this position because they don't generally sell players um, that they want to retain. They've got a history of keeping all of their top performers at the club, um, but with this one, they are considering it. They're allowing him to speak to Bayern, and they are in discussions with Bayern. Doesn't mean he'll go. As I say, if they can give him, get him to agree to a contract. They will retain him, but Bayern believe they can get the player. Well, you ask the questions, we do our best to answer them. And um, at the top of this podcast, we brought you uh, some very big breaking news about Aiden Hazard. I believe Duncan can um, almost close the question and answer session with some other breaking news regarding transfers, Duncan. Well, not, it's not breaking, but something I did recently for the Sunday Times, and that's um, Andre Gomez. Um, who uh, West Ham United have made a series of offers to Barcelona for. Um, the, the highest they've got to, I'm told, is around €20 million. Euros. Um, obviously, Andre Gomez has been an important part of Marco Silva's first Everton team. Marco Silva's been very clear that he wants to retain the player. Everton's problem is that they signed him on a loan deal um, with no option to buy. They, weren't, they did not get a commitment from Barcelona in price because Barcelona wanted um, to have what has happened happen, i.e. put him in the Premier League for a season at a reasonably prominent club, see him perform well, um, and then see what the market's like in a year's time and see how, how you can get the price from other clubs who want him. I think there's also interest from Tottenham Hotspur. I don't think it's as strong Um Manuel Pellegrini is driving the interest at West Ham uh, for Gomez. Uh, I think it's very clear that €20 million Euros is not going to do it with Barcelona. They want um, a lot more money. Um, they, they put a lot of money down to sign him three years ago and they want to recover as much of that as possible. Um, I would expect Everton to come in with, a, with an offer. Um, and I, I think it'll take a while for this one to play out because it is one of those transfers where Barcelona are trying to maximise their income from it um, and they'll try and let let his name run and, and see who comes in with bids. And he's the kind of player that a lot of middle-tier um, Premier League teams would be interested in signing. And those kind of teams have a history of doing deals uh, right down to the wire and, and, and often making... Um, big bids beyond what they, they'd hoped to make um, as the deadline um, comes around and, and the sensible thing I think for Barcelona would be to, to wait till that period and, and you've also got the advantage of the Premier League uh, transfer deadline being a lot earlier than other countries so you can let the Premier League clubs have a go at that and if you don't get the money you want from them um, see if you get a, a club from another country uh, offering the money you want and then if not put them on loan for another season um, 
uh, possibly was an option to buy in that case. Now, Duncan, unless there's a more titillating transfer chat, is that the case or not? Giovanni. Oh, yeah, I knew you'd say that. I knew you would. Good man. Giovanni Lo Celso, I think, is one to, to pay attention to. Tottenham are trying very hard to get him from Real Betis. Um, Argentine attacking midfielder would be a replacement for Christian Eriksen. I think that's the, the, the worrying thing for Tottenham. And um, we've had lots of questions, Duncan, this this uh, week about where will Christian Eriksen go, so that's very relevant. Yes, and I, you've told us in several podcasts um, about Eriksen's interest in moving elsewhere. He's in that another situation of one year left on contract. Tottenham will have to make a decision whether to cash in or whether to retain him for another year and try and persuade him to sign a, a deal. I think your your position would be that it'd be very unlikely that you'll sign a new deal at uh, Tottenham. I don't know if you've, you've no, changed. No, no, that's, that's certainly not changed, Duncan. And in fact, um, it is my information that <clears throat> should Barcelona be able to um, sell Felipe Coutinho and or Malcolm, then Christian Eriksen would be the player they would buy to uh, augment their squad for next season. All of that is partly dependent upon the conversation we've already had regarding Valverde and, and who comes in and who he wants. But Ericsson's certainly a player that they're very interested in. Yeah, so Lo Celso is um, a young, um, creative midfielder. A lot of clubs like um, Betis took him on loan from Paris Saint-Germain uh, a year ago with an option to buy. He's had a good strong season in La Liga. Um, Betis uh, exercised their option to buy in April. Um, I think very much aware that he had suitors and Tottenham being one of them and that they could turn a big profit on the deal. Um, his, his release clause is €100 million. Euros. Um, Paris Saint-Germain are entitled to 20% of the transfer fee above €25 million. What I'm hearing is that Tottenham... Uh, volume around the 60 million euro mark. Um, there's a sense that someone else might come in and and uh, and compete with them for that deal. Um, certainly compete on wages. Um, I don't have this confirmed. There's some word that Manchester United are interested. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they are, given that the the recent transfer um, history involves a lot of. Uh, looking at what other Premier League clubs have identified as targets and then uh, coming in to try and bully them out of the deals. Um, so watch that space because I, I think Betis will sell for sure um, and it's a question of, of where he ends up going to at the end of this window. Um, and, and interesting that Tottenham are, are pushing so hard for a player and, and prepared to put down what would be a very significant transfer fee for them although he fits in that category that Daniel Levy likes and what strategy would he wants to have going forward of, of signing young talents who've already uh, proved themselves in the European game who he can get into the Premier League and increase their value and have performed for his team simultaneously Well one of the highlights of the Transfer Window podcast week as you all know is the Donkeys Awards um for which we award someone, or indeed uh, sometimes it's two people, 
an award for uh, being one of the people who is in context in the news, uh, someone who we believe deserves that amazing golden statue with Donkey's head on the top. And we are not going to disappoint you this week. We are awarding the Nigel Farage Award for going somewhere you don't want to be, that you don't want to work, but you're there for the cash. Now, that may sound familiar to all of you with regards to some footballers. We're going to give you three nominations once I've opened the golden envelope. And Duncan will afterwards award that uh, very, very prestigious prize. And of course, uh, we will be sending it off in the post to them. We'll just do the uh, the golden envelope now, please. Oh, a bit of a difficult one this week there, Duncan. Uh, didn't come on the ones, the ones uh, all at once there. Um, so the nominations are and I don't have to explain this one at all, Neymar. I don't have to explain the next one either. That's Alexis Sanchez. And I'm pleased to say I don't have to explain anything to do with Samuel Eto'o and Antsi in Dagestan either. I'll just leave it to Duncan to summarise his thoughts and indeed award this very, very prestigious prize. Well, uh, Alexis, um, I think... <sighs> has expressed his anger at his agent for um, pushing the move through to Manchester United and, and persuading him to take money over uh, over the option of going to Manchester City. So uh, I'm going to give him a little pass on, on that one because he at least, um, at least is making the excuse that it wasn't down to him, it was his agent who forced him to do it. Um, Neymar, well... Neymar, the, the story was he goes to Paris Saint-Germain to become the main man and prove himself the, the, the top player in world football. Uh, I think a lot of that was down to um, the story that people around him sold. Um, money obviously a part of it, uh, but I think money more a part of, of the decision by uh, uh, Napalm, uh, as we like to call him, uh, his father who, who did the deal and who is eternally looking for another um, deal going forward. And uh, pay attention to what happens with Neymar this summer. I don't think he's, uh, his future in, in Paris Saint-Germain is 100% secure. But I'm going to have to go for Samuel Eto'o here. Um, one of the great uh, footballers, one of the great African footballers, um, a man who has performed for team after team. But that move to Anzi um, when he was still at the peak of his career, just one year after winning the uh, an unprecedented treble in Italy with Inter, um, was absolutely all about money. Um, he got the highest salary in the history of the game at that stage, 20 million euros um, net per season to go to the Republic of Dagestan. He went to play for a team who um, he was actually living and training in Moscow and only flying out to Anzi for the home games. That's how uh, how um, how bad it was as a place to live and, uh, and I'm told how dangerous it, was, dangerous it was as a place to live and that's the only way that Anzi could persuade um, the other Eto and the other top players that uh, that joined him there um, to come and be part of the the Russian Premier League. Um, that project got nailed by financial fair play. In the end, uh, I think one of the one of the, the easy easy wins for UEFA was um, was knocking down salaries like that. But I think if if you're going for a Nigel Farage award, sadly you're going to have to give it to a player like Eto. Um, but I think even he would admit. There was only one reason to go there and it wasn't for the glory and it wasn't for the football. 
I would love at some point that we could get Nigel Farage to actually award this donkey to Sami Eto, given Farage's um, very, very explicit views on things like immigration, et cetera, et cetera. I think that would be a, a very interesting meeting between Sami and Nigel. Um, I, I, think, uh, I think Sami would put Farage in his place very easily. He's a very bright He uh, is. Man. He is. And, and we will do our best uh, for all you listeners out there to... Um, record that particular um, award ceremony and interview. Um, I'm sure Nigel will do it if we offer him 30 grand or, or around that amount of money, which he gets. think he needs a lot more than that these days. <laughs> which he gets for being an MEP in somewhere where he doesn't want to be, hence the award. With that, we bring this particular Transfer Window podcast to a close. We invite you, please, to join the debate with us afterwards. As you know, we love to hear your points of view. This has been your questions answered. So if any of your questions weren't answered, get in touch with us at Transfer Window. Um, our Transfer Podcast, sorry, I should say, um, at Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ on Twitter. Uh, if you like what you've heard, and we know that thousands of you do, and it's becoming more apparent, uh, week in, week out, as our trans- as our podcast grows, that um, you're loving what we're doing and uh, we're very appreciative of your support. Please go into iTunes and give us a five-star review, which helps us to in- broaden out the community and also, of course, uh, include more people in the, in the debate. We will be back on Friday uh, to ensure all your podcast needs are met I think at this moment in time, Duncan, it will be a Champions League final special. And we are hopeful of having one, if not more, special guests on that. So tune in and let's see what happens. Uh, All I've got to say for now is goodbye and thanks for listening. (laughs) 